from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Now make sure you say my name right. It's Latine. See, I talk about things other people are scared to talk about, what they're afraid to say. When I walk into the building, you know what they whisper to each other? This is Robert Latai from BlackSportsOnline.com. You're listening to the Ugly Truth Podcast, where I don't tell you those pretty lies. I tell you the ugly truth about what's going on in the world of sports, entertainment, and viral news. Sorry about last week. Had a couple of personal uh, issues come up, some uh, travel issues, etc., etc. You know, life issues. Life does happen for all of us. Uh, but I'm back. And there's things in the news that we need to talk about. First thing is the celebrity lawyer, Michael Aviante. The Aviante. Hold on. The, the Google machine tells me how to pronounce it. Hold on. Let me see what the Google guy says. Hold on. Wait a minute. Avenetti. Okay. There we go. The Google machine told me. Uh, Michael Avenetti, uh, celebrity lawyer. Uh, we'll get into some of his clients in a second because that is relevant to what we're getting ready to talk about but anyway he had the the best life comes at you fast tweets of the day maybe of the year of 2019 um early on monday morning he said he came out with a tweet he says he's gonna have a big press conference he was gonna expose nike in a college basketball high school basketball scandal that was gonna blow him up and that he was doing it out the kindness of his heart. He was doing it for the integrity of college sports and high school sports. And that he cared about the kids. You know, he was all about the children and, and integrity and loyalty and doing the right thing. And he tweeted about that. And all of us was like, whoa, well, we got to watch this press conference. And I promise you not. As I wrote about this, I was writing about it. I said, hmm, what, you know, what could he have? Uh, to blow up Nike. I mean, it's we're talking about Nike. No less than, I would say, 15 minutes after that tweet, the cops started tweeting and the feds started tweeting and the CNN people started tweeting that Michael Avenetti uh, was arrested for trying to extort Nike for $20 million. So he wasn't doing it out the kindness of his heart, the integrity, the loyalty, the kids. He wasn't doing that for anything. He was simply trying to cash out. Now, us be known to us at the time, I guess Nike has, is being investigated by the feds anyway. So there's obviously some, something fishy going on. There's some fishy things going on at Nike, but they know that at the time. But I did think it was interesting because I'm like, oh, well, this, this must have been going on for months. Right, you know, him trying to extort him or whatever. Nope, five days on the 20th, he started asking for money, and on the 25th, they had him in jail. I mean, I'm sure people, you know, the feds work on the weekends, but that, like, really, five days, five days, we could do that in five days. Can't get Trump out of here, but we can, we could, we could do that in five days. And Avenetti, uh, it looked like Nike was going to give him a $1.5 million and just tell him to go on his way. But he was being greedy, so he wanted, he wanted $20 million. Then he wanted to be retained by Nike 
to handle any backlash from the investigation that may come from it all. So basically, he wanted them to hire hire him to advise them or work on uh, things that he was trying to extort them for. This is a you know a real person that's doing this, not the greatest uh, lawyer of all time. Come to find out, his co-conspirator Mark Garios, uh is Colin Kaepernick's lawyer, Jesse Smollett's lawyer, and used to be uh, Chris Brown's lawyer. But possibly the most interesting part of all of this, and it's all pretty wild, is that these documents come out. So the indictment comes out, and it's about 12 court docs uh, about how they got him on tape, how he was trying to extort them, how he said don't mess with him because he will go public with this. So, I mean, they they pretty much got him dead to rights. Uh, But within those documents, there is a very small part that says, and I would quote, but I don't have it in front of me, so I paraphrase. He's talking about, you know, allegations and accusations, and he's pointing out that the majority of accusations are untrue. But it doesn't matter because of how people perceive accusations. And if only 10% of them are true, that's all that matters. The example that he uses, though, is R. Kelly and Donald Trump. Now, Trump is living fancy free now because this Mueller report came out and, and said more or less that we know he did something, but we just can't prove it. But according, you know, in Trump's way of talking about life, that just means he's been totally exonerated, even though they literally didn't say that. But the more interesting thing is R. Kelly, and I'll tell you why. And I've mentioned this on podcasts before, and I've mentioned this in tweets before, and I've mentioned this in stories before, and I've mentioned this on radio interviews and things that, that I've done, is we all know that R. Kelly's guilty, right? Now, we don't know exactly what time frame he's guilty of it, but we do know that he's guilty of something illegal. The problem with R. Kelly is the factual things that we know about R. Kelly are he did marry Aaliyah when she was underage. We know this. And we highly know that it's R. Kelly on sex tapes with underage girls. We have multitude of women who have explained R. Kelly's M.O. We have multitude of men who also explains R. Kelly's M.O. Now, at some point during R. Kelly's life, while he was doing all of this, at some point he realized that if he simply waited to the young girls that he liked turn the age of consent, be it 17, 18, wherever it was at, then while still very creepy and disgusting, it wasn't illegal. Now, I don't know exactly when all of that happened, but 
it definitely happened at some point. So when they're going after R. Kelly now, if you notice, literally every all of those charges are from 8, 9, 10, 15 years ago. And some of the women that are accusing him, like in the more recent times, they're not necessarily accusing, they were 19, they were 18, they were 20. You know, the women that he has living with him now are grown women. But when he got them, they were 17, 18, 19, right on the fringe legally. I said still disgusting and creepy, but legally. So how does that fit into the to the Michael Avanti guy? Well, here's the problem. He, Avanetti, I, I, I can't do his name right for some reason. He provided a lot of the witnesses, a lot of the videotape evidence against R. Kelly, and it's old evidence. Okay. We don't know exactly what the Chicago PD has on R. Kelly beyond what, oh boy, the lawyer has sent over the tape, the, the, the gentleman that said he had the tape for 18 years and R. Kelly, you know, stopped paying him. We have the young girls that are not older women and saying R. Kelly did this stuff to them. Once again, it's all likely true. Because we know R. Kelly. But from a legal standpoint, and from a standpoint of there are a lot of people in Chicago that still stand behind R. Kelly, if you are a quote-unquote R. Kelly fan, or you feel like he's a black man that's being railroaded when white men do the same things, you don't necessarily think he's innocent. But you're like, well, if he's black, this is why they're doing it to him. You don't trust the cops. You don't like whatever. And you're presented with the person that provided the most evidence being crooked. Well, then that's your reasonable doubt. And I used an OJ analogy in this. The evidence against OJ in his murder trial was pretty strong. Like, if you just, all you saw was the evidence, you didn't know it was OJ, you didn't know it was Nicole, there wasn't no TVs and the thing, you know, you, you didn't know anything except somebody just came to your house one day and says, "We, I have a case. And here's the evidence against the defendant. You would say to yourself, that's a pretty strong case. Probably beyond a reasonable doubt. So why did OJ get off? Because of the LAPD because of their corruption because of their credibility because the jury didn't like them not necessarily because they thought OJ didn't do anything because the credibility of the people that were telling you were doing something it was a little off in general that's how people feel about cops it's like yeah, these criminal behaviors, criminals, but, you know, the cops are criminals, too. The cops are the ones shooting people and beating people and, you know, kicking women and, you know, all of this stuff. So, a lot depends on the jury makeup. And if you're a defense lawyer, you can say how 
can anyone trust what Michael Avenetti has brought to the table when A, he's a criminal himself, a scammer, an extortionist, and secondly, he said it himself that 90% of, in his words, bullshit. And what's R. Kelly's defense? They're trying to extort me. They're trying to get money from me. That's his main defense. They're lying on me, be trying to destroy my name. They're killing me because they all want money. Now, you're a defense attorney, and you're telling the jury, Mr. Kelly is saying that he's being extorted. Mr. Kelly is saying that these people are, are making up lies against him to damage his reputation. Mr. Kelly is saying that these things aren't true, and the people who are doing this are opportunists, opportunists and scammers. And I can prove it because their lawyer is an opportunity, opportunist and a scammer and an extortionist. The one girl who's suing them in New York, I think that is Faith, and she was 19 when they met, and she's accusing them of uh, you know, sexual assault and all of this stuff. Her lawyer is a scammer, an extortionist who's looking at 30 years in jail for improper stealing money and, and not you know using her position as a lawyer to withhold money and put it in her pocket, like over $300,000. She's a scammer. Gloria Allred, everybody sees as an ambulance chaser and a scammer. When she has a guy in a press conference and the guy says, oh, I found, I just randomly found a VHS tape from 20 years ago while I was trying to watch sports. And I think it's R. Kelly on the tape. And so I ran to Gloria Allred only to find out that the tape is just one of the, the numerous old tapes that are out there. You can get on X videos or Pornhub. So you have all of these people that are shady. Everybody's dirty. It's going to be very difficult if you have anybody on that jury who feels for R. Kelly in any way. And if the trial was anywhere else but Chicago, I think it maybe wouldn't matter. But in Chicago, this man is seen as a legend. He walking out the courtroom, girls are giving him roses, people are saying free R. Kelly. And this is your jewelry pool. And I think if you get the right jurors, if you're a defense attorney, and you can put all of this out there, and those people are thinking, you know something? Yeah, I know R. Kelly's a creep, but he's our creep. And he's being railroaded by the man, whatever. Don't be shocked if you get a not guilty just because all of these other people are dirty. Lawyers, some, not all, some of the accusers, some of the family members, some of the friends and hangers on, they all knew what R. Kelly was doing. They knew what R. Kelly had been doing for a very long time. They enabled it. When the money stopped, all of a sudden they became woke to R. Kelly and want to you know, talk and, and file cases and all of this stuff. When they knew this 10, 15 years ago. 
you know, you had to take what it was happening. It's your niece, for goodness sake. You held on to it for 20 years, and now all of a sudden you had it over? You're no better than R. Kelly. Well, maybe a little bit better, but not much. So the lesson here is that, first off, if you want R. Kelly to go to jail, stop associating yourself with shady individuals, shady lawyers. The second thing is, do not be shocked if R. Kelly is able to get off from this because of stuff like this. Imagine going to court and you say, two of my accusers, the lawyers are going to jail for being extortionists and just scammers. That jury selection is going to be real interesting. I, I think they're going to, I, well, I don't think they let you see the jury, but once I know the jury makeup, just like with OJ, once I saw it was enough brothers and sisters on the, on the OJ, I said he got a chance. Once again, R. Kelly's guilty as hell. Now, like I said, the time frame of when he's guilty from a legal perspective is maybe a little shaky, but he's been doing illegal things for a long time, and he hasn't been punished for it. So I had no problem if they throw him in jail and throw, you know, put him, throw away the key. I know he's guilty. You know he's guilty. Most people know he's guilty to some extent. The question is, when you, if you're in that jury, do you literally apply the law? Or do you just say he's guilty? I know he's guilty, even though some of the legal stuff about it would tend to swing toward a not guilty verdict if it's reasonable doubt. As opposed, see, I always think the thing, the hard thing about juries is does the jury? It's almost like being a boxing judge. <laughs> Like, when you're a boxing judge, like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer aggression? Do you prefer defense? You know, if someone hits you with 20 punches, as opposed to the other guy hits you with one hard punch, you know, that, that rocks you, do you still get credit for the 20? That's what it is like being a juror. Do you, are you applying common sense? Or are you letter of the law? Because common sense, you're like, well, I'll kill this guilty, and I can, you know, can I go home now? Because that's just common sense. If you start looking at the letter of the law, there's going to be a little gray area, you know, there. And can you in good conscience say, I followed the letter of the law, so I voted not guilty, but I know that he's guilty. Like, you have that on your conscience. I think that's the thing with the OJ people was that they knew OJ had something to do with it, but they felt the better overall good was teaching the LAPD a lesson. And they were good with that with their conscience. So we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's going to be an interesting trial. I might make my way down to Chicago and try to get in there because that one's going to be interesting. Unless he takes, unless they both realize, the defense realizes, hey, he's guilty as hell. We want to take a risk. And the prosecution realizes that we got so much muddle. It's, it's so muddled because of other things that they come to some sort of plea deal, you know, where he maybe takes a couple of years in jail as opposed to 30, 40. 
you know, for for lesser charges. Like it could happen like that, or we could just go all in and see who wins. Now that that would be interesting. So before I go, I have a a sad story. Sad, sad, sad story. Because I wanted it to work. I did want it to work. I thought what LeVar Ball and Lonzo and LaBello and LiAngelo thought what they were trying to do was not revolutionary, but it was the type of thing that as black people, people in power don't like for us to do those type of things. They don't like for us to control our own brands. They don't like for us to be our own bosses. They don't like for us to have the control. So at the time that LaVar, Lonzo, Angelo, Melo all came on the scene, I mean, they were rock stars. I think there was a time that, like, Liangelo, the, the middle child, who was probably the least popular, had more Instagram followers than the entire, the entire pack. Was it pack 12 now? Pack 10? Pack 12? They had a strong following. They had a strong base. But as I've told you guys many, many, many times, when you're black, your margin of error is basically zero. You don't have, you're not afforded the opportunity to fail and definitely not afforded the opportunity to fail up. You're scrutinized different. You're criticized different. And not just from white people, but from other black people, too. It's a lot of crabs in the barrel. It's a lot of people wishing for your downfall. That, that's always been concerning to me, is that you don't have to like something, but you don't have to wish for it to do bad. Like, I'm not, I, don't, I didn't particularly like the Us movie, well, I'm super happy it did 70 million. That's gonna, you know, be beneficial to a lot of black actors and not not just black actors and actresses, but people behind the scenes. Open up doors for a lot of people. Doesn't matter. I don't I didn't particularly like the movie. I still wanted it to succeed just because I didn't like the movie. Like, oh, I wish it only did 20 million. Like, you see how stupid that sounds? But that's how it is a lot of times with with black people. The more successful you become, the more they want you to fail. And so what happened with the big baller brand is particularly troubling because Lamar, excuse me, LeVar, put his trust in a black man. And when you put your trust in your own people, and then your own people let you down, it just really, it perpetuates that stereotype about 
black people in business. Now, it doesn't matter that white people do this stuff all the time. We literally just talked about lawyers that are scamming and extorting people. But once again, your margin of error is basically zero. And LeVar is just, you have to, if you're going to give someone ownership of anything, you have to vet them. You have to see where they're coming from. And if they are problematic in the past, you have to really keep, you can still give them an opportunity, don't get me wrong, but you really got to keep your eye on them throughout. And he didn't do that. And the guy who's, according to Alonzo, been like a father figure to him for a good part of his life, literally he stole from his family $1.5 million. And if you're Alonzo, you know, that has to be kind of the final straw because you're the one that's financing everything. You're the one that is the 51% you know, owner. It's your company, your LLC, your brand. And they're stealing from you behind your back. So you have to make decisions. You're a grown man now. You know, you can't have dad holding your hand the entire time. Once again, it's a type of situation where you would hope, well, if they were white, that they would just learn from it, rebrand, do something different, and get another opportunity. I was watching something about a documentary on uh, Club 54. And the owners of Club 54, you know, they they got arrested, you know, tax evasion, stealing money, not having the right liquor license, all type of stuff. White collar stuff. Went to jail for a little bit. Got out of jail. When they got out of jail, was able to convince a bank to give them million dollar loans to invest in hotels. Now, can you imagine a black man getting out of jail and then going to a bank and saying, hey, I need a million dollars for my new project? They would think he was high or on something. But that's what I mean by not not having the ability to fail or fail up. I'm happy that Lonzo is realized that it's time to take control of, of his situation. And I still think he has the potential of having a very good uh, NBA career. And he's still very much so one of the more popular players in the NBA. Uh, and he's still so young. I think 2021. 20, you know, he's a, he's a baby. But you got to grow up at some point and take control of your career. What I don't like is how happy some people were that this happened. Like, why would you be happy someone lost $1.5 million, that someone betrayed their family, that this could potentially fracture the relationship between a son and a father, a brother and a father, brothers and their father? Why would you be happy about that? Why would you get joy out of that? Why would you celebrate something like that? Why would you celebrate a business, a black business, at that failing? If if LeVar Ball was white, he could be Donald Trump. 
And LeVar Ball's a, a, a much better human being than Donald Trump, but you get what I'm saying. This this look around. Look around, not just at the white people, not just the media people, but the black people too, who are getting joy out of this. That's why we we can't rise up. There are times you find out that when we're all in this together, we're pretty much shockingly unstoppable. But we're always so fractured because the way that we've been brainwashed, the way that the you know the economic things, the way that the country itself tries to hold us down, that we turn on each other. Not all, because I mean I know a lot of people supported Lamar and wanted it to work. There's a good percentage that are happy that it didn't work. And that's sad. One last thing before I get out of here. Uh, the gay Tupac, Jesse Smollett, is skating on his uh, MAGA hoax attack. And doesn't bother me at all. Um, I'm not really that bothered by it. I was bothered by it initially. Not him getting off, but the whole thing, because you never want to give racist people an opportunity to say, see, see, the people lie on us all the time. We're not really racist. We're not really ignorant. We're not really prejudiced. We don't do, you know, all of these things that people say that we do. Mm-hmm. You never want to give racist people, MAGA people, the opportunity to do that. Like the whole thing with the Mueller file or whatever mm-hmm. with Trump, like, obviously within the the report, there are some really bad things. But if you just say, well, we can't really pin anything to them, they're going to latch onto that as if we don't have, you know, almost two years of corruption, lies, just generally bad behavior. So that was really what I was upset about Jesse about as far as him, you know, getting off. uh, I, I don't, I don't care about that. That's the cops and the DA's fault when the cops are doing, you know, doing interviews and doing press conference like they landed Anthony Davis and free agency and puffing out their chest and overcharging a black man. Look, he filed a false police report, you know, make him pay a fine, say that he's sorry, do some community service and go about his business. You don't charge somebody 16 counts for, you know, getting themselves beat up. Come on, man. That's silly. That's stupid. So when they started to do that stuff. I, I, you know, whatever angst I had for Jesse Smollett, I, I once again realized that cops uh, get away with murdering people, beating people, uh, being racist, uh, ignorant uh, towards black and brown people. Um, and I always, I, you know, I always hear that, oh, well, you know, there are some good cops. Yeah, but, you know, it, you know how they say, you know, some people should be held to a higher standard, like, you know, the president should be held to a higher standard than the janitor. I would expect a cop to be held to a higher standard than a criminal. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're the cops. They're the ones that's supposed to serve and protect. So they don't get, you know, as much leeway. So, oh, well, you know, what about what about black-on-black crime in Chicago? Well, if you know, just crime in general, those are criminals. You're the cops. Should be better than that. But that's what you get. That's what they get. So I'm not, I'm not mad at it at all. And, you know, I get that. Jesse's still lying, but now he never has to tell the truth. Record's been wiped clean. 
gives him $10,000 and, and can go about his business. You know, we may never know the 100% truth, but in the immortal words of George Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it. Follow me on Twitter at BSO, Facebook Black Sports Online, Instagram BSO TV, along with YouTube BSO TV. And I'll see you guys soon. I'm out.